0: It takes a lot of psychological, internal change to start looking at yourself as something that you never really set out to be. But now that I think that we've opened our minds to that, then the upside potential or how far up we can go up market, so to speak, just seems, I don't want to say limitless, but the limits are a lot less.
1: Welcome back to Tiny Seed Tales, a series where I follow a founder through their struggles, victories, and failures as they build their startup. I'm your host, Rob Walling. I'm a serial entrepreneur and co-founder of Tiny Seed, the first startup accelerator for SaaS bootstrappers. We're back with Brian and Scotty, co-founders of Gather. It's been a few months since I last spoke with them, and there's a lot of good news to report. Brian and Scotty are surpassing their goals for MRR growth, and they're making great progress on their quest to move up market but they're not satisfied yet. And at this point, they're turning their attention to what's next. So Brian and Scotty, it's been about four and a half months since we last spoke. A lot has happened, but I feel like the lead, so to speak, on this story is that your MRR is up quite a bit since we last spoke. And in fact, you had your best month of growth ever last month you'd mentioned at some point that you know you had a goal to grow $1000 of MRR in a single month. So like you you've achieved your goal at least one time. How does that feel?
0: Yeah, that feels amazing. That actually just happened hours ago. Our price plans, you know, are considerably higher than when we first started tiny seed and so when one comes in it tips the scale more than it used to. But yeah, I just looked at it today and trailing 30 days is like $1006 or something like that. So That kind of felt like this interesting milestone. Yeah, it's not really in a calendar month, but it's close enough for me.
1: Do you mind sharing with folks what your MRR is right now?
0: Yeah, it's 8,200.
1: Cool. And I know we've talked a little bit about this. I mean, you had said at one point, man, if we started a company and we could get it to 5K MRR, wouldn't that be amazing? And now here you are at 8,200 and you're approaching like all accounts, you're going to double that initial, that's amazing goal. Do you ever stop? Scotty, to kind of think about what that means and how that feels? Or are you too caught up in the day-to-day as a founder to really celebrate that?
2: I think we definitely get caught up in the day-to-day to actually celebrate. Sitting here listening to that, in my heart, I'm like, wow, well, we did say that. And now we're well over that and getting close, as you say, doubling, but it's still not good enough. It's still not where we, where we aspire to be in the long term. So... Yeah. But it is good for us to stop and recognize that we have made a lot of progress.
1: Yeah. And is it not good enough because you're still burning cash, in essence, that you're not to the point where you feel like you could run the company forever on the current revenues? Or is that's what it is, right? It's not just the number isn't high enough.
2: Oh, yeah. I mean, sure. If we were at a place where we were able to pay ourselves and have all our staff that we needed and, and everything was humming along nicely, then that would certainly be enough. But we're still burning more cash than we're making. So it still feels tough. It still feels like we're not quite there where we need to be.
1: Yeah. And that's the ups and downs, right? It's the struggles and the victories and the failures is this current victory is this amazing 8,200 MRR. It's the $1,000 of growth. And yet... It's not where you want it to be. To touch on something that we spoke about in the last episode or two, you had a, a large customer. I mean, your, your whole journey here is to try to go upmarket you know, from these smaller, almost individual firms or very small firms to the more mid-market teams. And you had a 20-person team sign up when we last spoke, but they had basically signed up for like a one-person account to try it out. And you were waiting to see if they were going to upgrade. And I'm wondering if that happened in the past four months.
2: Yeah, it did. So they did do a trial basically, or they signed up for one sort of a team account, one of our smaller plans, and then they bumped up to an enterprise. And it ended up being, I think in the end, it was about 15 users. So that was still a success. But the bigger thing is they've recently started rolling it out to um, one of their offices. So if it goes well, and everything works the way they were hoping it would, then they're going to roll it out to other offices so there is potential down the road to get a larger enterprise sale with them
1: the theme we're seeing in the first few minutes of this conversation is that you can have your site set on a goal and before long you might achieve it but that's not the end of your journey you're on to the next hurdle i remember brian and scotty saying last episode how cool it would be if they could land this larger enterprise prospect now they're thinking about landing their other two offices as well this is one of the things I found so difficult about starting this kind of company. Your to-do list is never clear, and things don't end until you put someone in charge of the company or you sell it. Until then, it's just one mountain after another. Last episode, Brian and I also talked about an imminent price increase and how charging more for Gather is a big part of their transition up market. Let's check back in on how that's going. Brian, you, I believe in the past four months, you raised your pricing again. Is that right? Because right at the first, in the first month or two of the batch, that was one of the early things that we talked about was your pricing's too low for your model. You're worth more than that for these customers. And you've raised prices and no one blinked and you raised them again. Is that right? And how did all that go?
0: Yeah, I'm trying to remember back then, but I, I want to say we've even raised twice. I know we've for sure raised prices one more time. Our cheapest plan now is 200 and our middle plan is 350ish and then we have an enterprise plan which we have sold a few of and so that's actually been like we don't get a lot of price objection at least from the people that we're trying intentionally to sell to we have sort of had to reject our previous customer avatar and when they come to the site we've locked down the self-serve trial They have to go through a demo now. And so sometimes those people will reach out to us and like complain a little bit about price or say that we're really expensive or can't figure out why we're so much more expensive than what they frame our competition in their mind to be. But yeah, the larger organizations, they're not looking at us on a price basis so much. They're looking at us on a value basis and they're trying to find the right tool for them. So it's actually been a signal for us, I think, that it's getting close to time to do that again. And to raise prices again. And, you know, maybe that means we sell less because those folks take longer to sell, but it's probably worth it in the long run for us to focus on selling, you know, three or four subscriptions per month than it is trying to sell five to ten.
1: When you first started in Tiny Seed, was your lowest pricing plan? It was like twenty-nine or thirty-nine dollars?
0: Yeah, it was one of those two. I can't remember. It was twenty-nine or thirty-nine. We felt nervous about going up from that and that feels totally ridiculous to me that we were so concerned about that. But I think you know we needed people to encourage us to do that and also to help us think a little bit bigger and make us realize that there are other companies out there that it's actually counterintuitive because those lower prices send a bad signal to them. Even now we wonder if our price points send a signal to them that we're too small potatoes. So yeah, it's interesting the psychology of pricing both at the founder level and also at the buyer level
1: absolutely and this is a tried and true SaaS playbook i mean it's you start at the bottom of the market because you don't have a brand and no one's heard of you and your products really early and you don't have the features that you need and you price yourself pretty low you get a little bit of traction you use that to make a better product you define your positioning you learn more about the market and then you just go up 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 up. I mean that's a very common thing and as you're pointing out, you know, the higher price point is a good signal to the higher price point buyers. The higher price point buyers tend to counterintuitively, they churn less. You know, the people paying you 29 bucks probably require more support and have a higher churn rate than the people paying you 290 bucks a month, you know, paying you 10 times that amount. So this is a lesson that I think we kind of learned like in the MicroConf community in the really early 2011 to 2013, 14 timeframe, that was a lot of the advice that was coming out was, Hey, in my experience, these are what the numbers look like. And in fact, the state of independent SaaS survey and report that I did through MicroConf reflected that, you know, what we would expect that like lower price points, higher churn, companies with higher price points grew faster, all that kind of stuff. So your pricing is correct, I'll say, or in the ballpark. And at $29 or $39, it's not a viable business. The vertical is not that big, you're in a fairly small space. And so the price point for you to become a seven or eight figure business, it just has to be by its nature higher than someone selling to every small business around the country.
0: Yep, we've learned that lesson kind of the hard way. And it's not an easy transition to make. It does require not only just changing your positioning and how you present yourself to the world and how you show up at sales demos, but it takes a lot of psychological internal change to start looking at yourself as something that you never really set out to be. But now that I think that we've opened our minds to that, then the upside potential or how far up we can go up market, so to speak, just seems, I don't want to say limitless, but the limits are a
1: lot less. A lot of people don't realize product market fit is not just building a product that people want and are willing to pay for. It's also having a good idea about your positioning and pricing and some idea of channels where you can reach future customers. Gather is on the path to nailing those pieces down. And for Brian, a future where everything comes together is starting to become tangible. It feels like they're getting really close.
0: Sometimes big fish fall into the net. And this happened to me actually yesterday, where I spoke with a company. With ten thousand employees, giant hotel company, multiple brands across economy hotels all the way up to luxury. They have a huge portfolio of hotel brands. And you know, I got on the phone with them, and it was pretty clear that we didn't go where they needed us to go. But it just—it's one of those things where you could look at it as, "Oh man, we lost this huge opportunity," or it's like, "No, that's where we're going." Like come back in two years and talk to me. And, you know, maybe at that time, it's like, those are the kind of deals that we're actively selling into and going after. So I guess I'm just trying to say the upside potential is way bigger than we ever kind of perceived it to be back in our $39 days.
1: Yeah. And you just mentioned earlier, you look back and laugh at your pricing and your positioning eight months ago, that's going to happen again in eight months you're going to look back at today and be like, what were we thinking with X, Y, Z? Maybe it's not pricing and positioning, but it's going to be something else. And then eight months from then, it'll be the same. You know, That's just the nature of these startups where you're making a lot of decisions quickly with incomplete information and you only know which ones work in retrospect.
0: Absolutely. And we can see it now. I think, I can't speak for Scotty, but I feel like for the first time, I can see that eight months out, that 12 months out. I can see the roadmap, the, the features that We need to execute on in order to close the objections that we get from those larger fish that fall into the net sometimes and then actively go after them. So it's like I see the potential much more than I ever did eight months ago, 12 months ago, for sure.
1: Scotty, does it feel that way to you? Do you feel like you have a clear vision of where you're going to be eight, 12 months from now?
2: Yeah, definitely. I think in the beginning, it felt a little bit scary and unknown when we were leaving the small teams, the small design firms and the residential designers. And so when we started to move up market, that felt a little scary, a little out of my comfort zone. But then that became very comfortable and easy and our product fits well for them. And and then listening to all the feedback from the firms that we, you know, where we want to go, it doesn't seem that we're never going to get there. It feels like it's just within our grasp. Um, we just have a little bit more work to do.
1: And Scotty, what what do you think's been the biggest win for Gather over the past four and a half months since we spoke?
2: Yeah, I think validating with these larger teams. And I mean, most of our teams are between five and 10 is the size, but we've sold several enterprise. Actually, we just recently closed an enterprise deal that we've been courting since August. They went through a demo and then they did a trial and then they kind of disappeared for a while. And we continued to follow up with them just checking in and they were mildly committal, non-committal. And then we just closed them a couple of weeks ago. So that was really exciting. I think we ended up, it was a 15-seat enterprise plan and they have two architecture offices. So that was a real high, just seeing that finally close.
1: That's awesome. What a good feeling. And Brian, can you talk to me about your highlight from the past several months?
2: Yeah. I think the biggest thing
0: for me as a highlight is just the fact that like we are selling into the kinds of firms that we hypothesize we could sell into. So We have had, like Scotty said, some specific key wins as far as larger accounts and teams. And I guess just those cumulatively put together makes me feel like the thesis that we set out six months ago or eight months ago is inherently correct. So I think that's kind of the biggest win for the company and for the direction that we're heading. For me personally, I feel like doing these sales over the last couple of months has just taught me how to sell. So there's a knowledge win that I guess I've gained that I'm very grateful for and that I realize you know will like, continue to grow, but also be a foundational skill as an entrepreneur that I'll be able to carry forward into whatever else. So that realization that, oh, I can actually sell, <laughs> where I'd never looked at myself in that light, I think has only happened over the last couple of months.
1: Yep. He's a born bootstrapper. They both are. They're willing to put on unfamiliar hats and round out their skills as much as needed. That's a big reason that Gather is part of Tiny Seed. It may be that the SaaS founder experience can feel like tackling one mountain after another, but once you've climbed a couple mountains, you start to expect it and welcome it, and you just keep going. Eventually, things start to feel a little less steep. Right now, as you look ahead, like what's your biggest fear or trepidation with what's going on?
2: That we're going to run out of money? <laughs> can I say that?
1: <laughs> That's always the fear. <laughs>
2: Yeah. We're spending more than to build the features to grow into these bigger firms. And so it's scary to see the bank account dwindle as we're trying to continue to prove this model, which we know we can do and we can prove it. We just we need more time and we need just a little more money.
1: (laughs) Yep. That's the thing. When you have any type of burn, the two of you are so capital efficient. You know, you are bootstrappers at heart and you've really raise this small amount of funding from tiny seed to leapfrog you and to get you ahead. But anytime you're burning, it just can kind of bother you. You know, it's in the back of your mind of like, when are we going to run out? What's going to happen? Are we going to make it? So I totally get that. How about you, Brian? I'd imagine the similar sentiment.
0: Yeah, my biggest immediate concern is just figuring out how we can keep going and keep growing and even accelerate growth given that we do have some capital requirements we have to consider. So we can always scale back expenses and sort of just keep coasting or try to sell on our own, but we don't want to have that limited mindset. We want to continue to accelerate. And so that is kind of the most nerve-wracking thing right now for both of us, I think, is just how are we going to cross this bridge because we can see the green pastures on the other side I'm confident that we'll get through it. It's painful right now. And it's nerve wracking. And we have a lot of things to consider and a lot of possibilities to contemplate. But I know that we'll get there. It's just kind of a matter of navigating this world that we don't quite understand yet. And that that's kind of scary.
1: Yeah, I feel like navigating a world that I don't quite understand yet should be the title and subtitle and every subheading of being an entrepreneur. It's like that's every day. You know what I mean? It's a, and the moment that you figure something out, something else changes or some new challenge comes up that you're like, oh, I've never done this before. Like, I've never done this before is the most commonly heard quote when I talk to founders. It's like, yeah, no kidding. You're going to say that forever. You know, it's uh, that's the hard part about this. A lot of uncertainty.
0: It is the hard part, but it's like I feel okay with the ambiguity. Like, I am kind of the type of person to just figure stuff out on my own without trying to worry myself too much about it. It's just that like the further you go along the problems, the speed bumps that you have to cross just keep getting like bigger and more complex. You always feel like you're getting in over your head, but you know, I listen to stories of founders and entrepreneurs that are dealing with unbelievably huge difficulties. And then you can kind of scale it back to your perspective and go, well, they had to cross the speed bump too. And I'll figure it out too. I'm a reasonably smart
1: person. And Scotty, assuming, let's say we talk again in a month, what's the thing between now and then that you're most excited about?
2: You know, I think I'm, I'm most excited to see how we deal with this cash crunch that we're heading into. Because right now it feels a little unknown how it's going to come through on the other side. And I know we'll be okay. I know we'll figure it out. We have options. But I think that's honestly, I'm most excited to see how we come through on the other side of this. Because within a month's time, we'll know. I think we have to know what we're going to do and what our decision is.
1: How about you, Brian? What are you most looking forward to over the next month?
0: I like Scotty's answer, excited to be over the speed bump. I would say that I'm also really excited about our feature roadmap, our product roadmap. I feel like the product is the best it's ever been. And we've got like some pretty exciting stuff that we're going to be releasing really starting kind of now-ish. I'm going to continue with that for months in advance, but I think within the next month or two, we're going to be releasing some stuff that is substantial to the product and will start to help us close the objections that we commonly encounter. So I can see that out into the future and actually being able to work on The product like that is what really gets me up, I guess, working on the product every day is imagining what it's going to become in the next quarter or two.
1: Check in next time to see how Brian and Scotty fare with their dwindling capital reserves, changes to their product roadmap, and yep, maybe even another price increase. That's next week on Tiny Seed Tales.